Welcome to the Weight Loss for Women podcast, a place where we share everything you need to know about restoring your metabolism so you can eat more, train less, and lose weight in a healthy and sustainable way. I'm Kitty Bloomfield, co-founder of New Strength and Saturate, creator of pro-metabolic food supplements and seriously saturated skincare. And today I have the gorgeous Eleanor Hadley on the podcast. Uh, She, well, I was just saying, I asked her before, I said, well, how do I introduce you? So she's just this sexy woman (laughs) (laughs) that helps people have better sex. That's what I do. Yeah, absolutely. But but maybe you should just talk a little, before we get into it, who are you? What do you do? What are your courses and things? A better introduction than what I just basically did. (laughs) So I'm Eleanor Hadley. I am a certified sex educator and I'm a writer and a speaker. I work all things sex. I love speaking all about sex and pleasure and intimacy. I work with people one-on-one. I speak at different conferences on different stages and I have multiple courses as well all about pleasure. All about sex. And look, mm-hmm. just a trigger warning for the people that, you know, so, had this bloody woman message me one day on Instagram going, oh, can I listen to your podcast? And, you know, one day you started talking about Craig's penis. And I'd really like it if you gave us a warning so I could like, not listen to it. So we, I just want to put this out there, everyone, that we're going to be talking about penises, yes. sex, yes. revealing some intimate details about my sex life. And so, like, just, you know, getting down and dirty. So if you are offended by any of those things, mm. stop listening. Please tune out. Please tune out. But if you want to have some good sex, <laughs> which in. I'm sure if you want to be pleasure, pleasured. That's then, the purpose of life. Yeah. Not pleasure. That's right. So keep tuning in. So I found Eleanor uh, – so I – basically started doing a course I'm just trying to think about how to articulate mm-hmm. this very well but oh and again I'm just going to be really honest because I'm like oh he's a fuck you know just <laughs> just be honest kitty so <laughs> oh, I think just to give people a bit of context I when I was 17 lost my virginity and then I just basically spent the next 17 years of well till I met my husband taking drugs drinking booze and just fucking basically mm-hmm. So I'd meet all these guys and I would take them home and I'd probably hardly barely remember what I was doing because I was so blind. And I think I used sex as a way to validate myself. Mm-hmm. And looking back now, I'm like, oh, you never really, until I met, I mean, I obviously I met my husband, but when I look back at our sex life, I'm like, oh, we just didn't really do anything. Like we didn't explore anything. It was very, you know, um, I mean, I didn't even know if you ever watched porn. Not that I'm saying you should watch porn, but, you know, like we just never even mm. talked about it. Like we mm. just didn't – it was just so It just nothing. happened without yeah. any discussion. There's no – like you say, like once I started working with you and I met Craig, like didn't explore things or explore fantasies. And I think yeah. for me, and I talked to you about this, was I always felt a bit ashamed about some of the things that turned me on because I was like, oh, you know, never talked about it, never explored. Um, so I think that I didn't, you know – have well, only only have ever had two relationships, so I never had any deeper relationships where I felt safe enough that I could explore some of these things and not feel ashamed about about it. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure a lot of women can relate to that. So then I met Craig, and Craig's very oh, I'm trying to just he's like we won't talk too much about Craig, poor Craig, but he's <laughs> a lot more sexual, like not sexual than me, but maybe wanted to explore a few more things and really sort of broaden my horizons. But I oh, I think I still felt. A little bit like I was holding back. Yeah. And when I, I, I think, I don't even know how we came across you. And then mm. I started to work with you and we sort of worked through some of these things. I think initially I was like, oh, I need to be able to do a lap dance. And you're like, well, mm-hmm. maybe that's not the thing that we need to work on. 
you know, like I think it was just breaking down some of those beliefs around, oh, this is taboo and you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't feel like this and it's okay. Like, you know, um, so, and on one of the things that I told you, which I haven't really told many other people is about my first sexual experience was, which was with a girl at 12, which happened a lot. Yeah. And I think I was really embarrassed about that too. Because mm-hmm. really common, wildly so. And yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so very, very common. I think a lot of the time we have these experiences when we're young because we just have these parts and we start feeling pleasure and we want to explore it and we don't have this um, shame added to it just yet. Mm. That can come. Mm. Um, but it's purely exploration and you feel safe with your friends and so you probably just explore with your friends. It doesn't necessarily mean anything. Um, Sometimes it can be part of like a gay awakening and you're like, oh, (laughs) right, no, that tracks. Um, But other times it just happens to be like, oh, yeah, that's the person that I felt safe with and we explored and that was that, Mm. you know. Um, That's really, really common. Mm. Yeah, so that's a bit of the background about how I found Eleanor and we worked together for 12 weeks and you were so good, you know, like I think – yeah, and I just thought, oh, well, let's just get you on the podcast just to talk about – I mean, we can talk about everything related to sex because I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of women who probably feel like I did. Yeah. You know, maybe they've got fantasies that they don't want to explore because they feel ashamed. Maybe yeah. they don't know their bodies very well. They don't – you know, like we talked about a lot of this like pleasure, these pleasure yeah. rituals and practices and things which are pretty mm-hmm. cool. And, yeah. you know, like I don't know, like you work with a lot of women. What are some of the – I don't know, some roadblocks or things that stop women from having good sex. <laughs> oh my gosh, a lot. Firstly, I will say that a lot of the time when people consider working with me or with anyone who specializes in sexuality, I think that the appeal is, oh, I want to go and learn some tips and some tricks and some techniques. And, you know, like you were the lap dance was the first thing that came to mind. And yes, that is a huge part of what I teach. Um, however, a lot of the time what we end up working on is is removing all of that shame and stigma and that's where we need to start before we can start adding on like tips and tricks because you can just like start throwing things into the mix and go oh yeah cool here's some techniques and here's this and that but if you haven't gotten rid of all of that stuff that's weighing you down and that is holding you back beforehand then you can only really take your pleasure potential to a a limit. And when you remove all of that, then you have so much more expansive opportunities. And so what holds a lot of people back is firstly just the taboo of sex and our societal sort of conditioning. And a lot of the time I start with coaching is questioning your conditioning. What beliefs have been drummed into you from childhood, from um, teachers, parents, from social media, from television, And all of these things that tell you that either sex is bad or wrong or dirty. Um, And at the same time, they tell you that you're meant to be like a freak in the sheets. And you should be really, really, really good at it and know exactly how to please your lover. And especially from a woman's perspective, we have this very patriarchal conditioning that is like, you must do this for your man. And your worth is determined by the pleasure you can provide a man and we don't actually think about our pleasure very much and there's all these myths as well that um, are around saying that women actually don't experience orgasm plenty of people believe that which is wild to me people think that the the orgasm is is a myth the female orgasm doesn't exist the clitoris isn't relevant all of these things which we just know are completely false but 
they get deep down in our psyche and they can impact us. And then we essentially will shut shut ourselves off from pleasure. We won't advocate for our pleasure. We won't speak up and say, hey, actually, I prefer it this way or actually that's not feeling great for me. And I do deserve an orgasm. I do deserve to feel extreme pleasure here. And there's nothing wrong with that either. Yeah, I love that because you're right. And, you know, it's one of the things we talked about, like, and I'm sure some couples will relate to this and then poor old Craig. I try not to talk too much about Craig because he's not <laughs> as open as me, but, you know, like, and I'm, and we talked about this, like, men, and you'll be able to just articulate this better than me, but, like, he'll be, you know, sitting there, you know, doing his work. Yeah. And then something will happen. He's like, oh, I want to have sex. And then, yes. you know, like, I need more build up. Yes. And, you know, it has to be this more slow build up to really feel like really I'm ready to have sex and then I can have an orgasm. And it's like, how do we meet in the middle? You know, like that is, it would be a common thing, I reckon, with heaps of couples. So what you're talking about here is a really interesting sexological um, concept called spontaneous versus responsive desire. That's it. I couldn't remember the terminology used. Yeah. So we have these two different desire types and everyone will fall into one of two categories. A lot of people will fall in between and it will be context dependent. Context is incredibly important when it comes to sex. But when we think about these two different types of desire, we have spontaneous desire, which is when you're explaining how Craig might just be tapping away working and then suddenly, boom, ready to go, right? Got this huge rager. (laughs) Kitty, let's go. Let's go. Um, So spontaneous desire talks about the type of desire where suddenly, out of the blue, you might feel aroused. You might feel ready to have sex you have this desire to have sex but nothing necessarily sexually relevant has happened and then conversely you have responsive desire and this is where you need that build up to respond to a sexual advance and build your desire so it's very rare that someone with a very very predominantly responsive desire type will just out of the blue be like yeah let's fuck (laughs) There needs to be something sexually relevant already happening. Mm. They need to be feeling something sexually relevant. And then they'll be like, oh, actually, yeah, now now I do. And so, you know, you might just be like, oh, no, I'm not really feeling it. But then maybe you're making out or you're texting all day, sexting all day. And you're like, oh, and it starts building. And you're like, actually, now I'm ready. Let's go. Right. You have to respond. And so often what we find with couples is it's very, very common that we have mismatched desire Mm. and one isn't better than the other. Unfortunately, just because of the society that we live in, um, we have these expectations that the predominant style of desire that men typically have being spontaneous, majority of men experience spontaneous desire, maybe about 73%, I believe. Um, we have the assumption that that is the way, that's Mm. the right way. And because we see sex and everything in life, um, unfortunately, due to our society through this lens of like the male gaze, we're seeing it through their, their glasses, if you will. That's where we start to pathologize ourselves and men start to pathologize us. Women go, oh gosh, I must be broken because I don't want sex immediately. Yeah. 
And that's another thing we'll talk about after this, which was really interesting that you helped me work through anyway. Keep going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so because of that, we we often find we have mismatched desire. Um, often the blame can be placed onto the woman. It seems too easy to say, oh, well, it's just you just don't feel like sex as much. You know what? A lot of women really, really desire sex, but you've got to do it in the way that our body responds to. Mm. You can't just all of a sudden be like, here's my dick. Let's go. <laughs> Get on. Please. <laughs> Warm me up. I know. <laughs> and then they probably fight. Like sometimes Absolutely. we used to fight. I can imagine yeah. like, especially when you have three kids in the mix. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think what often happens is that the fight will come about because firstly, one person, and this can be any gender as mm. well. So it might be completely opposite. It's not always so black and white. Um, so one person will have this spontaneous desire. The other person will have responsive. And the person with a responsive desire will be like, oh my gosh, like, no, I don't want to just have sex at the drop of a hat. And then the person with the spontaneous will therefore feel, oh my God, my partner doesn't desire me at all. And that can feel really awful to feel like you're undesired by your partner, but it's not necessarily the case. It's just, let's think about how we can work with and respond to one another's desire types. Mm. And this is also where the brakes and the accelerators come in. Do you Mm. remember that conversation? Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. So we also have these two systems at play um, in our body at all times. They are the sexual excitation system and the sexual inhibition system. Now, another way of terming these is the brakes and the accelerators. So at all times, we have these two systems at play and they are constantly scanning our environment for sexually relevant stimuli. Mm. So is this a sexy environment, right? Am I on a podcast with bright lights in my face, a camera facing me, and is that a really a previous am I feel, client? Yeah, I'm feeling very mine. turned on right now. Like, yeah. am I? Is this sexually relevant for me? And right now, probably not. What do you mean? <laughs> like, I'm feeling myself jump across today. The, you don't want to However, jump across the table and have sex with me, yeah, little. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and so we always have these two systems at play, and they're yeah. going, "Oh, yes, it's a good time," or "No, no, no, it's not a good yeah. time." So think of like the brakes in a car, right? So you've got that pedal that's pushing down and going, "No, babe, slow down. That's not a, a good time." And then you've got the accelerator, which is like, "Yeah, let's go," right? And so all of these are happening all the time. Some people will have very, very sensitive brakes which means that it any almost anything, not almost anything, but a lot of yeah. things will be like, oh, no, no, put the brakes on. Other people will have incredibly sensitive accelerators. And these are the people that are like, no, nah, I could do it anywhere. Let's go. Oh, wow. Really? <laughs> yes. And neither, again, is better or worse than the other. Everyone will have like different levels. Again, everything is also context specific. But when you know what your brakes and your accelerators are, you can essentially create this language between you and your lover and say, hey, when we are about to get it on, Mm. so this is one of mine, when we're about to get it on and we have a playlist on in the background, I think I've shared this one with you, if I know the words to every single one of these songs, I'm singing it in my head. You could be doing the best thing ever. You could be just (laughs) going for it. And I'm singing along in my head. And so I need lyricless music, please, for the love of God. Oh, that's so funny. And so, yeah. and then other people, no, they can tune that shit out. That doesn't matter to them. 
Um, other people, you know, sights, smells, sounds, tastes, all of this. There's so many different things that can be a break or an accelerator. So maybe it's bright lights. I'm, I'm very like sensory. And mm. so if I have like halogen bright lights on, it doesn't make me feel sexy. Yeah, probably it's most people are going like, to be like that. Hey? It's icky, right? Yeah, it doesn't yeah. feel like moody. I want like salt lamps on. The red light. and Yeah, yeah, yeah like make it sexy. Yeah. And so when you know these things about yourself firstly and then about your partner, that means that you have this vocabulary, you have this blueprint, if you will. Mm. So you know, oh, okay, I know that my lover loves it when the sheets are completely fresh. I've opened the window and I have been sexting them all day telling them how beautiful (laughs) they are. Awesome. I know how to get them in the mood, basically. Exactly. And then, of course, we don't expect like, oh, would I ticked all the boxes? You should give me sex now. But it's like, okay, what's your language? It's like Mm. a love language. I like Mm. to call it a pleasure language. Mm. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And the other thing that we did that I found so helpful because – and look, I'm not saying everyone's like this, but I really um, – comparison. So Mm. remember I was there going, Craig is like this. I'm not good enough. I need to get to where he is. I need to be the same as him. Why can't I be like him? And you're like, kitty, fuck's sake. We didn't say fuck's sake, but, you know, probably you probably didn't. wanted to say fuck's sake. <laughs> you don't have to be like him. And we did this little test, yeah. this little exam. And the way that I describe it is like your sexual archetype basically mm-hmm. and understanding like what, what, how like, – and so he was kinky and I was yeah. – what was I bloody – energetic. energetic. So can you talk about those different styles? Yeah, yeah. definitely. So this comes from, um, I believe it's JR, um, the erotic blueprint. Mm. A really great test for everybody to check out and explore what they're... Can you do that on your website? Is it on your website? Or? It isn't, but yeah. you can just look up yeah. erotic blueprint yeah. and you can find it. It's a really, really popular test um, that people can go through. And there's different styles. I believe it's kinky, sensual, um, energetic, sexual, and... There might be another one that I cannot remember right now. Yeah, but, but maybe talk through the different styles. Yeah, because yeah. I was like, I found it so interesting. like, oh, wow, this, this is describing me to a T. Absolutely. And it's not that one is better or worse, like you say, than the other. It's just yeah. understanding your styles and how to make them work. And you don't have – you shouldn't feel bad that you're not like Craig. Exactly. Yeah, basically. Exactly. So some people will be turned on more by the senses – so being very, very sensual in touch and indulging in the senses, sight, smell, taste, sound, touch, I think. Um, and that's if you have that sensual sort of type. If you are sexual predominantly, that means that you're turned on by the act of sex itself, all of the sexual acts. Um, and that's the, the main thing that kind of drives your desire. Then you've got kinky, which is all about like the taboo, things that are sort of left of center, a little bit, um, you know, Di- different to the the usual the norm right um whatever we can call the norm <laughs> and then you've got energetic so energetic is all about um how you feel about your partner how you are um affected by their energy the build-up of your own energy as well and so you might have different desires within these different types but when you do this test and you discover your predominant archetype, Mm. it's so helpful. Again, it's another pleasure language that you can use to to talk to your partner about what what you like, what you don't like and what works best for you so that you can expand your pleasure potential and also your partnered pleasure Mm. potential. Mm. What about women 
So like a lot of women come into our program and we typically work with women, you know, 30s, 40s and 50s. They've done a lot of restrictive diets, mm-hmm. you know, they've got like low sex drive because they just under eat and then binge yeah. eat and too much hair. Just, you know, anyway, they've got low sex drive and then we improve their nutrition, yeah. you know, make the lifestyle changes, you know, so they start to sort of get this sex mm-hmm. drive back. But do you think some women, like they don't even know what turns them on? Like they don't know how to pleasure, like what is going to give them pleasure? Is that common? Oh, so very, very common. Yeah. A thousand percent. A lot of women aren't encouraged to or are actively discouraged to explore their desire. Mm. Um, again, like I said before, we have this sort of societal conditioning that our body and our sex, our sexuality is for men. Mm. It is for the purpose of pleasuring a man. Um, and of course, this is a very heterocentric view, but when we have that conditioning in there, it's really hard for us to see ourselves as sexual beings and to give ourselves permission to be sexual because there's so much shame and stigma attached to being a sexual person. You know, have you ever heard of the Madonna whore dichotomy? Mm -mm. So the Madonna whore dichotomy stipulates that essentially we have these two roles that we are seen to be able or allowed to um, embody within this current society and that is either the virgin madonna the the mother the pure sort of archetype despite the fact that mums literally have to have sex to become a mum or the whore and that is the sexual deviant the woman who's loose and we have this really really awful misunderstanding that you can either be one or the other. You cannot be both. And also, especially under our patriarchal society, that men want one for one thing and one for the other. They don't want their uh, their wife, their mother of their children to be the whore. But they don't think that the quote-unquote whore can be wife material, yeah. right? But then at the same time, there's this expectation that like, oh, wait, but you should still be really great at sex and you should please me and all of this, right? So this is just like a big sort of cultural thing that needs a lot of unpacking. But often we do this to ourselves um, and we kind of condition ourselves this way and we have it internalized, like this internalized misogyny runs really, really deep. And so we will stop ourselves from being sexual beings because we don't want to be portrayed as that quote-unquote whore Mm. um, that's apparently a bad thing. We want to be seen as respectable, pure, whatever. Um, But at the same time, sex is great. It is. (laughs) Like sex is amazing and it feels great and you deserve pleasure. You don't have to be one or the other. You can be a very respectful, amazing, articulate, smart successful person and an absolute kinky freak in the sheets and it's great (laughs) you can be both oh I love it that's so good and so like how would you encourage women because I know you've got some courses and things like to get to know their bodies and what Mm -hmm. actually turns them on and pleasures them and you know I think sometimes too because again like I just think back to how I was when I was younger I just fucked yeah all these guys yeah like it wasn't enjoyable pleasurable mm-hmm. connected you know and you, us working together I really realized that like doing that little you know the erotic blueprint and realizing that I really need to have that deep love and connection to feel safe yes. and to be able to actually let go mm-hmm. 
and have no judgment and just have that great sex. And I think there's another thing actually that I wanted you to talk about is, and I can't remember the words that you used, but like, you know, the lap dance you were talking about, mm-hmm. like performing yes. versus embodying. embodying, that's it. Yeah. You know, that makes so much sense. It's like, and I think I always had this thing in my head about, oh, you're vanilla kitty in the bedroom because like you watch porn and mm-hmm. it's like so aggressive and spitting and choking and all this mm-hmm. like they're, mm-hmm. you know, like, like it's just so performative. Performative. Yeah. That's versus it. when you're actually with someone that you truly deeply love and you're in it, you're not thinking mm-hmm. about what am I doing to try and impress this person? You're just in the moment enjoying it, being yeah. sexy. Like, can you talk about that? Because I think that's, oh, yeah. Can I yeah. ever? Like, please. <laughs> Let me. <Yeah. laughs> so this is something that underpins everything that I teach and it is the difference between performative and embodied. And we can talk about this when it comes to performative femininity. Mm. But, um Performative femininity compared to embodied femininity. Performative sensuality um, versus embodied sensuality. Performative lap dance as opposed to embodied lap dance. And especially performative sex versus embodied sex. So different. Mm. And a lot of us have or have been having sex that is performative. And when we're doing this... We're maybe mimicking porn or we're simply trying to impress the other person. We're thinking, oh, what are they going to think is sexy? Is this angle good enough? Are they going to like think I'm hot here? Have I done a good job? Do I get a gold star? (sighs) And when we're performing, we are not in our body at all. We're in our head. And so a lot of the time I have clients tell me that they feel like they're numb from the neck down. They feel so in their heads in most of everyday life and even in sex. They're thinking about what are they doing, what's happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, They can't focus. And so all of my work is about embodiment. I want you to feel embodied in your sensuality, embodied in your sexuality, really truly out of your head and into your body. And the more that you focus on sensation and feeling and truly being in this body, in this vessel – the more pleasure you're going to experience. If you're overthinking it and you're like, oh my God, I need to do this and I need to flip this way and turn around and I need to moan now on cue, (laughs) you're not going to experience as much pleasure. Sure, it might be like a little bit of fun, but there is so much deeper like experience of pleasure that you can have if you are embodied in it. Mm. It just makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I I reckon so many women would be doing that. Absolutely. And men, I think all people have this experience of performing their sexuality in or out of the bedroom because we see a certain portrayal of sex in media. I was going to say, do you think that porn sets people up with these unrealistic expectations of like what sex should be like? Not all porn, I mean, like not, you know, but a lot of that you see – like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, fucking, that doesn't look yeah. enjoyable. I'm like, as if you'd be doing that. Absolutely. You've got this fucking 10-inch cock up your ass. And I'm like, <laughs> don't tell me that feels good. You know, that's just an example. I'm like, someone's going to be offended by that. But, you know. <laughs> it happens. Um, okay. Porn has a lot to answer for. Absolutely. Um, there's definitely ethical porn available. Mm. And I would definitely recommend only consuming ethical porn that you know is created with consent and all of this um but yes the mainstream porn industry i do think has a lot to answer for because 
it is a performance. And the thing is, we know that it's being filmed, it's performative to some degree. Like mm. everybody knows that. But unfortunately, we kind of take it on and we sort of see that as like, oh, that's what I'm meant to be doing. I yeah. should be doing that, right? Yeah. That's what's hot. Um, and we need to really remind ourselves, you know, if, if you are consuming porn, amazing, great. Please make sure it's ethical. But also remind yourself, these are paid actors. Um, there's different angles. The, um, the majority of porn films are created with the algorithm in mind. So they have statistics. They know um, the statistics of how often people will click away, when, at what point, what has just happened when they click away, what they're fast forwarding to. And so it's almost like there's a script. It's like, okay, cool. We're going to do this, 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 we'll roll over this, 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 and boom, come mm. on face, right? Um, sorry if that offends anyone. <laughs> I think we but, would have offended people by yeah, now. Look, so look, it, yes, they're still listening. It's going to be fine. Here we go. Yeah. Um, so there's this formula per mm. se, mm. Uh, when it comes to porn. And so we just need to be aware of that um, and use porn as um, entertainment, mm-hmm. not as education. Mm. And so the more that you understand and connect to your body, your own body, before mm. looking externally, the better. Mm. Um, I will also say on the topic of porn that um, a lot of women in particular don't necessarily feel that turned on by visual porn. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some do, uh, absolutely. But audio erotica is really having its, like, time in the sun right now. And I've found that personally and a lot of my clients have experienced that the audio nature of it kind of invites this fantasy and our own mind to kind of come into it. And so that can be really, really helpful Um, when you're wanting to build your desire and wanting to explore a little bit more, maybe explore different fantasies, but not necessarily you have to watch a Mm. performance. It's very different when you get to kind of create the characters in your own mind, but you're just Mm. listening to something. So I would definitely recommend checking that out. If, yeah, uh, cool. Yeah, I remember you talked, we went over that and you gave me yeah. some books and things. I was like, yeah. oh, I did listen. I was like, maybe I'm just not, like, no, oh, it didn't really do it for me. Yeah, but again, like, you're for like, there's, di- yeah. exactly. You've got to find the thing that works. Do you think exactly. that you can watch too much porn and that it desensitizes you? Or what, what do you think about that? Oh, that's an interesting question. I think, yes, I think you can watch too much porn if it is getting in the way of your regular life, just with any other sort of addiction. Mm. Absolutely. Um, I think that. Yeah, you can you can watch things that make you crave different sort of stimuli. Mm. Um, if we forget how to connect with the actual human person in front of us yeah. and we're just trying to act out a fantasy and we aren't seeing them, that's where it definitely becomes a problem. Yeah. And so always remember <laughs> the person there <laughs> is yeah, yeah. a person and needs aftercare and needs consent and boundaries and we need to you know explore their pleasure as well and it's not just I'm playing out this role that I'm mimicking from something I saw. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Mm. What do you think Eleanor, I don't know if you work with women, so like a lot of women come into our program they're wanting to improve how they look like they want to build muscle, lose body fat and a lot of them yeah they have no sex drive but I think a lot of it is well, part of it comes back to how they look and how they feel about their body. Yes. And just this one lady, she's hilarious. Like she did the program, interviewed her on our podcast and she was like, 
she was Irish, I think, or Scottish. But she was so funny. She was just saying, now I could, like, she's obviously lost a bit of weight and she's feeling better. And she's like, now I can have sex with the lights off, on, sorry, now the husband. So what, like, do you ever work with women who maybe aren't, you know, that happy in their body Mm -hmm. right now and it's affecting their sex life? And like, what do you tell them? What advice do you give them? Oh, I think this is a really common one um, because there is such a hyper focus on what your body looks like as opposed to how it feels. Mm. And so I also come from like a fitness background. I used to own a pole dancing studio, studied fitness, and it was all about like what amazing tricks can you do and like how bendy are you? And, you know, it was really focused on that external representation Mm. of what your body looks like. And so when I sold that studio and started my own business in sensual movement and eventually sexuality I wanted to focus less on what your body looks like and even less on what your body can do but more how does it feel to be in your body Mm -hmm. and so this is where sensual movement comes into play for me this is one of my most favorite practices Um, and this is where you allow your body to move in the way that feels really good for you you're not trying to get to a destination Um, it's simply allowing your body to move and being in tune with your own movements, with your own body um, is so, so powerful. And so rather, again, than thinking of it as a performance and I've got to nail these movements and they've got to be perfect and I've got to show off how cool I am and what like great tricks I can do. Instead, I want you to focus on what feels good where does my body want to go Mm. using these big fluid flowing kind of feminine style of movements that can allow you to get out of your head into your body when you incorporate self-touch as well sensual self-touch this is definitely one of the exercises that I would have given you (laughs) when you explore that as well you start to really tune into how great your body feels Mm. and then it's not a far cry to reach towards oh well maybe when I'm with a lover they can feel this too and oh how good is that that's so nice and we can appreciate it rather than thinking oh it has to look a certain way they they think oh they're looking at my cellulite or am I looking fat when I you know yeah yeah no someone if someone is in bed with you if someone is lucky enough to be having sex with you they are counting their lucky stars (laughs) they are blessed to be in your presence and so you should act accordingly yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I was listening to this podcast. I can't remember that. Wish I could remember the name of the lady. She's like this. Some she's written heaps of books. She's mm-hmm. like sort of like you, but I think I think she's from the UK, maybe. Mm-hmm. And uh, Craig probably remember the podcast, but she talked about you know like I guess depending on what you value, because she was saying there's some couples that just don't really have sex, but they're happy with that. Mm-hmm. Like they're happy, and as long as they're happy, that's fine. But yeah. the issue is, is when one person in the couple is not having sex with the other person Mm. and she said something along the lines you know if you're just refusing to have sex with them and you just say well you know you'll never leave me so you know Mm. like how damaging is that or how bad is that not bad in a relationship but well that phrase sounds quite manipulative yeah Um, like you'll never leave me yeah yeah (laughs) um not ideal um I really think it's important to um to within a couple, within a a relationship, to understand each other's values Mm. and to compromise wherever you can because, I mean, existing in a relationship with another person is never going to be just like a walk in the park and like, oh, yeah, everything matches up perfectly. Um, Throughout your relationship, throughout your life, 
even throughout your month, you're going to have different like sexual desire ebbs and flows and that's totally normal you might have seasons where you're not desiring and other times you can't get enough Mm. um but i think it's really important to understand one another's desire type and how important is sex to you in general and are there maybe other things going on that are impacting your desire or maybe you're on the asexual spectrum Mm. um but it's really important to understand this about yourself about your partner and then come to a nice sort of balance point uh where everyone's feeling like they're they're not having to compromise who they with like with who they are and their own values but they can really sort of find that balance point i think is important Mm. and then if they can't (laughs) if they can't i mean it depends how how important sex is if Mm. if it's wildly important for someone so like for, for example if i was with a lover who wasn't interested in sex um Personally, I don't think that that would work out for me Mm. because it is quite an important part for me. Um, Not just because like sex is great and it feels good, but it's an incredible way to connect intimately. And I I crave that intimate connection with a partner. Um, Other people get that from different things. Different ways. Yeah. I guess it's about aligning. Yeah. and and Because I'm I'm sure like there's a lot of women who follow me and listen to this podcast. Like Mm. they might have kids, young kids. and They probably think, fuck, thank you. Like, I'm so fucking exhausted. You know, like, I've got these two young kids. The last thing I feel like doing is having sex. So how do you, like, do you work with couples where that's, you see that and you try and help them or what? Yeah, I think when it comes to, I mean, there's always going to be different seasons, like I mentioned. Mm. Um, And especially with young children, that's a season where maybe it is more difficult With anything that's important to you, though, you're going to have to prioritize it and, Mm. you know, set date nights and get sitters or find ways to do what is important to you. Mm. Um, Just like, you know, going on just intimate dates is important. Going and having hobbies of your own is important. Uh, Your work is important. It's about really talking about it with your partner and deciding how are we going to make sure that this doesn't fall by the wayside mm. um and yes it might be hard for a season but you can you might have less around yeah yeah like the frequency might not be as much but you might have exactly. a bit more quality that's the thing yeah. if you um allow it to be intentional mm. that can definitely sustain you like you know everyone's different in how often they crave sex mm. but the quality over the quantity mm. is most often going to be way more nourishing and enriching for you so Mm. rather than thinking if you are in the situation where you're really time pressed and it's like i can't be having sex as often as i used to then this is an opportunity for you to go okay cool well the sex that we can have let's make that really great how could we, you know, make this a beautiful date night, make sure that I have no other obligations and I can fully be in the mood and like allow it to be really, really wonderful mm. without putting too much pressure on like it has to be the best sex ever, but just mm. allow yourself to connect mm. deeply, have a date night mm. as opposed to, oh my God, we have to have sex four times a week because we used to have sex four times a week. Yeah. something like that you yeah know, that some makes arbitrary sense. kind of figure yeah and what about like couples that you've been together for a long time because you know like when you first mm. meet you just want to like shag like rabbits constant 
Yeah. What did you talk about? It's the new when well, we talked about this, the new relationship. What did you call it? The um, new relationship energy. That's right. Mm. So like, there's what hap- what's happening then? Like, why oh do you want to fuck this person so much? Is it just so you procreate? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of um, like chemicals and neurotransmitters sort of going on when you first meet someone you know, and you're starting to fall in love. Um, and what's, you know, just because I've thought yeah. about this all, like it's fascinating. Like what makes you fall in love and be yeah. so attracted to this person that you're like, you need like it's this energy that pulls you towards them. And all you mm-hmm. want to do is be naked with them all the time. Totally. It's like... What is that? So I, I'm not a scientist, so I can't remember the exact names and how they, they work, but we have like essentially this little chemical cocktail that kind of goes on in our body when we've met someone that we are vibing with. And this is often what people call love at first sight or like this, like I it's get like swept this, up in yeah, it. It's like you can't even like understand yeah. why. It's, it's just this feeling. It is. And it's something that like your body is essentially getting like flooded with all these different hormones that um, increase pair bonding that it's almost like you are addicted to this person and it's like you're on drugs. That's the That's it. That's, that's exactly happening. it. Yeah. Exactly. It's like a drug and you just crave it. Because you're having the same things happening in your brain as mm. you would with a craving or with any other kind of addiction. That's what's going on um, mm. neurochemically. And so you have have all of this sort of flooding your system and this is why people feel like they've like fallen in love immediately but often that's what we call limerence and mm. limerence is where like you you really desire and crave this person you can't get enough and you kind of almost feel like addicted and you you can't be away from them and we think oh my god i'm just so in love but love is very different love is that more long-standing like depth of connection and you can go and transform transition from limerence to Mm. love but often we mistake love for limerence and so that's like our body is like doing that because it's like yeah let's get it on cool awesome make babies all the time yeah 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 (laughs) be naked all the time (laughs) and so that can definitely happen um and yeah it's it's about sort of recognizing that yeah like trying to slow yourself down because yeah, yeah. sometimes that new relationship energy can can make really, you get really married in three months or something you know yeah. and then think shit what have i done oh my gosh exactly ha- how long does that typically last in a relationship like when you meet mm-hmm. someone and let's say you like craig and i've been here nearly 10 years like how long does that period of how long does it take to wear off mm, I average think, yeah i feel like limerence is more of like a six month Mm. sort of thing. Um, But it really depends on the the approach. You know, if you're just kind of getting addicted to them and getting swept up in it, or if you're setting some solid foundations and you're like, you know, I want to build something together, then you're going to have these different stages that come up in a relationship where like you'll you'll sort of test one another and then you'll work through different challenges and then you'll sort of build these foundations and then it can be longer lasting um but if you are expecting to feel that way that relationship energy it's not realistic you can bring that back and bring in different excitement and novelty and you know do different fun activities together try different things um but it's not necessarily going to feel exactly the same as that new relationship energy and that's okay and do you think then you know like i guess there's no right or wrong but potentially maybe it's not a good idea to get married to someone so quickly because you've not been through any of this stuff you don't know like you're so you know, even though I know people that have gotten married and they're still in relationships, I know other people that like after a year, they're like, fuck. Yeah. You know, like I don't really know this person. 
Absolutely. I mean, I don't think there's any hard and fast rule. There's probably some research out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that, I mean, personally, I don't know what the rush is to get married per yeah, You're se. right. Yeah, I'm like not, why I'm does not, it matter? But do you yeah. think it's because women, some women, some women I'm not saying, are just they're like they need to tie them down because they're like, fuck, I found this man. Oh, I've been yeah. single, got this man. I need to, you know, marry. What do you think about marriage? Look. What do you think about monogamy? I'd love for you oh, to talk gosh. more about this because I know, I know. <laughs> I have so many thoughts. Yeah. Go. This um, is but this is fascinating stuff and I'm sure like it's not talked about enough. Like we've talked about it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you'll hear me constantly sort of throwing back to the old patriarchy and mm. how that influences almost everything um, and how we exist and live our lives. So marriage is an institution that was designed to control women. Now, I'm not saying that if you are married, you are yeah, controlled yeah. because we exist in a sort of different society now, um, but the roots of marriage were about control. So we used to be it, – it all comes down to the, <laughs> the Industrial Revolution, which I know sounds bizarre, but hear me out. We used to be a very nomadic sort of society. So we would sort of um, farm here and there. We move around where the food was, right? And then the the hoe <laughs> was designed, um, and we started to develop machinery that could do the work of humans. And so, because of that, it meant that we could stay in the same place. And so, people started building houses and having land and staying in the one place. And in earlier sort of um, societies we were much more communal and everyone sort of looked after everyone's kids and it was much more of this sort of community setting where it wasn't so much of a focus on this nuclear family that we have now um, but everyone was responsible for everyone and so it wasn't as big a deal as like, well, who's the father and who's this? And everyone's going to take care of you. And then fast forward to the Industrial Revolution where suddenly we have land and we'll get concerned that, oh, I need to keep this land in my family. I need to know who like, is my kid and who isn't my kid because I'm not going to pass my wealth down to somebody who isn't mine, right? And so the institution of marriage is developed and that was essentially this property um, creation. It's this is my physical property. Okay, this person, this woman is now a part of my property and so I can enforce that my lineage is going to be carried down and, and the wealth will go through my lineage only and nobody else's, right? That's the the history of marriage in a mm. really like very crude sort of nutshell. Mm. <laughs> um, it's very, very fascinating to look into, so please do your research. But um, that to me is not necessarily the most inspiring way to to look at marriage. Now, of course, that's not how it's often looked at now, but we still have these throwbacks and these traditions like taking the man's last name and losing somewhat part of our identity as well. Things like this that are in place. And I don't, I know that like societally and like legally there's so many benefits mm. to being married of course as well um but i don't know that it's necessarily something that we need to rush towards mm. now we've also been sort of sold this little fairy tale of um being chosen mm. um and again our worth is sort of drummed into us as we are worthy because we are chosen by a man 
Mm. And again, I'm talking really heterocentrically here and in the binary, but often we get this sort of princess fairy narrative drummed into us from such a young age that we get a tick of approval, a gold star, if we are chosen by a man, if Mm. we are married, that somehow means that we have made it we've done something really good and this is where a lot of competition comes in um, between women and it's something that really really needs a lot of work because we should see women um, as like incredible amazing people that we want to have friendships with and lift up and often we can have this um, ingrained sort of competitive nature and it stems a lot of the time from well what if they take my man I need to compete with this woman for that man he is the prize he is the goal yeah look i love men but like come on they're not that great like they're not the prize i love it we're the bloody prize we're the prize prize. (laughs) if you have a great one amazing awesome but why we don't need to be so threatened right Mm. because you can we thankfully now we have rights and we are allowed to open our own bank accounts and we don't require men in the way that we used to it was only like i think less than a hundred probably 50 or so um don't quote me on that years ago that we um we weren't allowed to buy a house by ourselves we weren't allowed Mm. to have our own bank account and so those things are still very much sort of in us we Mm. we experience a lot of those things like you know our parents our grandparents probably had those experiences where they were in marriages because that was essentially their future they they didn't have an option to exist Mm. outside of being married and taken care of Mm. by a man. And so it's no wonder that we have these ideas and often we don't realize, you know, we're not out there going, I need a man because they need Mm. to take care of me. And like we're we're not conscious necessarily of this programming, but it's there and it's really, really deep. And with, with anything to do with conditioning, and programming we can decide to dig into it and choose how we feel about it Mm. and you can still choose to go yeah fuck yeah I really want to get married like that actually sounds really exciting for me it's not saying oh well just because it has a sorted history that I can't celebrate it now it just means okay I might think about how I feel about this institution Mm. and I'm going to choose to operate in this way in my marriage or this way in my career or whatever it might be. But I think it's important to kind of question our conditioning and not necessarily just get swept up and like, oh, well, that's how things are done. Mm. You know, maybe like dig into it a little bit more. That's something that I quite enjoy, obviously. Yeah, things that we've talked about. And what do you think about non-monogamy? Like, mm. well, so I'm like asking all these juicy questions. She's like, yes. You know, like you're with someone for so long and then I'm sure you, and we've talked about this, work with mm-hmm. couples who want to start exploring, yes. you know, like bringing other people into the relationship or having threesomes or yep. like talk about that. It's so we, I think it's also fascinating. It and is. I'm sure lots of, because people will be like, oh, some people are like, oh, that doesn't sound very, you know, it's mm-hmm. not the norm. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it, oh God, it's such an interesting <laughs> topic. It is so interesting. I find non-monogamy to be so fascinating. So personally, I I didn't explore non-monogamy until maybe four or five years ago when I met a partner who was polyamorous. Yep. I had no idea what the term So what meant. does that mean? I was going to say, for people who don't know, <laughs> yeah, what does it mean? Polyamorous essentially means you have the capacity to be in love with many people. Mm. You can have multiple relationships. And there's lots of different terms under the non-monogamy umbrella. 
if mm. you will. And so polyamorous is like relationships, more than one relationship. You might have an open relationship, which is where you have a primary partnership and then mm. they might have freedom to date other people or have sexual experiences. Mm. Then you've got swinging, which is more sex focused. And that's where it's more about sexual experiences with other people, mm. less about emotional connections. Mm. And so you can really do whatever you want within this structure. And of course, our conditioning is monogamy because that's, you know, we've talked about the yeah. history of marriage and yeah. everything like that. That's the safe thing because that is the control, right? And a lot of people thrive in monogamy. Mm. Um, and that is what we are taught. That is what is the most commonly accepted form of relationship style. Mm. Um, and so most people don't question it. It's just cool. That is what it is. Um, some people really struggle with inside mon- within monogamy and that can feel really restrictive for a lot of people and so the exploration of non-monogamy can offer you this freedom because you might have this deeply loving relationship with a partner and you love everything about them you have great sex everything's wonderful and you're a human and so you might still find other people attractive. Mm. You don't necessarily have blinders on as soon as you enter a relationship, regardless of how much you love that person. And what I think is really interesting about the idea of non-monogamy is that just because you find other people attractive, it doesn't mean you find your primary partner less, less attractive. attractive. Yeah, You know, and it offers you the freedom to have sexual experiences or have emotional connections with other people and still retain that beautiful primary relationship. And do you work with people who want to do that? Absolutely. Yeah, so like how yeah. do you work with them? Like just is <laughs> how would you counsel, like counsel is not the right word, but work with a couple where, because mm. I think like when I think about it, you know, I think a lot of women would struggle, like you say, with, oh, their partner having sex with someone else yep. and yeah. they're not choosing me. And it's like, yes. th- like, so how, like, do you, do you, you say, you might, you practice it now, non-monogamy or you have. Yeah. Yes. yeah. So how, yeah. like when you were doing it, did you ever feel any feelings of jealousy or, you know, towards the other Absolutely. woman? Okay. So this is pretty normal. Okay. Jealousy yeah. is yeah. so natural. <laughs> and I think this is where people like, get confused with non-monogamy so when i first started seeing this ex who was polyamorous how did you meet him i just met him on tinder okay and then they just first date he's like yeah i'm poly i'm like what's that he explained it to me and i was like cool i want to date you (laughs) like i'm like fuck it i'm just gonna try it then i had a great experience i just read every single book and listened to every single podcast i could on non-monogamy and i was like all right cool but it came with a wild learning curve and i had to I had to talk to my partner more than I've ever talked to another partner. There was so much communication that had to happen about how I was feeling, yep. my boundaries, my triggers, all of this. And so it it's not for the faint of heart. Yeah, look, there's a lot of work. Sounds like a lot of work. There's a lot yeah. of work that goes into it. Um, it was rewarding and mm. I have continued to explore non-monogamy um, and I think I'll always be sort of fluid in my mm. monogamish ways. Mm. Um, but... It can be very, very rewarding. And Mm. so when you first explore it, I think a lot of people think, oh, well, I couldn't do that because I'm too jealous. That's what Mm. everybody says to me. Mm. Um, I had friends saying, oh, my God, I could never do that 
Firstly, I'm not asking you to. I'm just yeah, telling, I'm just you, telling you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> <Please>. <laughs> um, but it's always about jealousy, jealousy, jealousy. Jealousy is so normal, and what we need to focus on is less about oh, I'm too jealous, I couldn't do it, and mm. more okay. Well, what's making you jealous? What what mm. feelings are coming up, and how can you move through those? Mm. And a lot of the experiences in non-monogamous settings are about moving through that jealousy, mm. and you can get to a point where you've sort of strengthened that muscle, and it doesn't trigger you as much because often what we're finding when we say we're jealous is I'm comparing myself to that other person, and I'm assuming that you think I'm not enough. Yeah. And that makes me feel like shit. That makes so much sense. You know? Yeah. yeah. And often it comes from, oh, I feel maybe like I'm not enough yeah. and I'm judging myself and I'm projecting that onto my partner. And my partner's like, whoa, what? I like worship the ground you walk on. What are you talking about? Yeah. You don't have nothing to be jealous of. I just happen to also find this other person attractive, but I worship you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> For yeah, example. Yeah. But we have this really really sort of I'm gonna say twisted viewpoint of um, relationship and romantic connection Mm. and this is something that I sort of spoke to you about and that is when we have friendships we don't necessarily say oh well you already have one friend you can't have any you can't have another friend yeah you can't we couldn't possibly have enough like love and connection and friendship to share with more than one person same with with People with kids, we don't say, wait, you're having a second child? <laughs> that, that second child isn't going to be as loved as much as the first one because obviously all of your love is like spent. It's used up mm. on that first one, right? No, of course not. We say, oh, my God, like my love just grew. I have more love for this other child. Like we, we love them all equally. Mm. You don't ever say, oh, well, I love the first one the most. The second one, like, no, nah, we give them a little bit of love, mm. right? That doesn't happen. But somehow we seem to quantify romantic love. Mm. Platonic, familial love is abundant. You can spread that as much as you want. But for romantic love, we get this conditioning that you can only have one. Mm. You can't have more than one because otherwise you are taking from their cup and you're putting it into someone else's as though it's a finite resource. Mm. But... Love and connection and intimacy is something that, yes, can be shared between as many people as you choose. Mm. Time is a finite resource. Mm. So you're not necessarily going to be able to like maintain 50 lovers um, <laughs> on your schedule. That would be difficult. Yeah. Very difficult. Yeah. However, you might be able to have this intimacy and connection with more than one person. And that's mm. amazing. Some people, not so much. And there's not, again, there's no right or wrong way. It's not like non-monogamy is the answer or monogamy is the best. It's just what works for you. But Mm. also like, again, questioning your conditioning. Does that work for you? Is this Mm. something that appeals? Do you desire to open your relationship? Amazing. Explore that. But remember that you aren't having something taken away from you. Yeah. At all. Yeah. It's such a, it's so interesting and you know, like all the things that we've talked about and you're right, it really does like you just think, what have I been conditioned to believe? Mm-hmm. But it's challenging, like things yeah. like all these, like all the things that we talked about, like you've just grown up this way, yeah. you know? So yeah, it's, yeah, I think it's so interesting as well. And yeah. the thing is when you learn about these different sort of ways of existing and qu- when you're questioning your conditioning, it's not to say, oh, well, now that I know 
this about marriage or this about that non-monogamy exists. It's mm. not like, oh, you have to change your mind. <laughs> yeah. You know, like there's no one out here saying you, you must change this. your mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's just this is another option. Mm. Um, you know, we haven't just eaten chocolate ice cream all of our life. There's also strawberry. And dude, if you want <laughs> strawberry, go for it. Amazing. I'm not going to be like, mm, Maybe chocolate is the best. Maybe like Neapolitan, you know. They like all the flavors. They might. Yeah. They <laughs> might all want one of each. Look, I love chocolate. And if you say <laughs> strawberry is better, then I'm going to judge you. But yeah. <laughs> there's no right answer. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so interesting. Um, And what about couples? Like, have you ever worked with couples who want to, like, explore different fantasies mm-hmm. and, you know, like have threesomes or, <laughs> you know, like do things like that? Like, what, how, how do you work with couples to, to you know, because I just think, oh, there'd be so, – I reckon there'd be so many people who want to explore yes. fantasies but they're too scared. Absolutely. It's so much fun. Yeah. Um, I love this topic because there there is so much desire there and there's mm. so – much more than you know traditional I suppose sex um, available for us there's so much pleasure available and novelty and fantasy is such a wonderful way to use your mind which is Mm. the biggest sex organ to increase your pleasure potential and so I think it's something to really be embraced now again everybody's going to have different levels of desire and go oh that really appeals to me or no that doesn't really turn me on um, and so it's important to recognize that and to respect that in yourself and with, within your partner as well and come to a compromise. Mm. Um, I think we, we worked through the yes, no, maybe list, mm. um, which is essentially like a sexual desires list um, that I created or it's a very common thing in the sexological sort of world. But you have essentially a whole list of all these things that you could explore so threesomes might be one of them Mm. anal might be another um you know all these different sort of sexual acts or fantasies and you can go through and you can write yes no or maybe a yes is like fuck yes i really want to try that i'm comfortable with that i want to do this um a no is absolutely not that's outside of my boundaries i'm not interested and that is one that's not to be um questioned Mm. by your partner and then a maybe is i'm interested to try it might end up as a yes it might end up as a no and that's again to be respected and so that's a really fun um, activity that you can do with a partner like on a little date night um fill it out beforehand and then sort of compare notes but i have a lot of people come to me especially about threesomes mm, i bet i bet well, it's like so many couples no, fantasy, no, whether it's with a man or a woman like they're yeah. yes it's probably the most sort of um the most popular and most, I guess, accessible mm. um, fantasy per mm. se, because it's it's relatively um, PG in mm. a way. It's still it's like kinky enough or exciting or different enough for some people to feel like it's really like taboo and special and really mm. excite them. Um, but it's not sort of like too far out of um, you know their norm if that's something that they're new to um and it's pretty accessible relatively Mm. um and so threesomes are a really really fun thing to explore and to kind of coach people on um if they're in a couple finding what is known as a unicorn 
Um, some people don't love that term. I'm fine with it. I'm a unicorn. <laughs> what's, a u- what's a unicorn? <laughs> Tell a us unicorn, about what a unicorn is. <laughs> a unicorn yeah. is um, a single person who is interested in like being the third person or being a third person. Yeah. This is yeah. the third yeah. essentially. So you've actually dated a couple. I have. So that. So what does that mean? How did that work? So that fascinates me too. Yeah, they're they're just so lovely. So so you're still dating them now? No, we're yeah. still sort of friends. They moved into state, and okay, so we yeah. sort of stopped seeing each other. But um, we still sort of talk. Mm. Um, regularly and they're still together and so we met on an app my favorite app that i recommended to you as well is called Mm. field Mm. um and that's a wonderful app for people who are just wanting to explore in general Mm. um and this is like the app that i sort of just tell people people all about um and i met them on that app and then we went on a date with them together with both of them yeah all three of us went on a cute little Ruffly date um and just sort of got a vibe for each other and and you're into both of them yes how good's that it's kind of rare i was gonna say because yeah. like you think sometimes you'd be into the man or because you're bisexual right yeah, yeah yeah so i'm bi i often find like if i'm sort of searching um i often find that i'm more attracted to the woman than really? i am the man yeah yeah, yeah. That's so i interesting. find it personally i find women much more attractive than men. Yeah. Well, we are pretty attractive. <laughs> uh, like yeah. Women are really hot. Yeah. Um, and I don't find myself as attracted to m- as many men. Yeah. Um, more women you're picky. more attracted to than men. Yeah. 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 Like I have had more experience dating men, yeah. um, but I just don't find often that many, many men that you're really attracted to. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I was into both of them. They were super sweet. We went on a date um, and sort of had a chat and everything. And then we went on a second date. So the first date, nothing happened because I, I'm very much of the camp that it's important to meet first, have a vibe check and then have some space mm. rather than rushing into it. Go in, s- allow yourself to go away and then think about Am I really into them? Do I want to be with both of them? Is this interesting to me? And as the couple, explore like that within yourself and have a conversation. Okay, how do you feel? Are you into this person? Do mm. you want to do this? Are you still comfortable? Right? That's mm. really, really important to have that space so you can come to a decision and not like rush into it and then potentially regret it and have all these like jealousy sort of things come up. Mm. And then, yeah, then we sort of caught up again. We had a really cute little picnic. And then we just ended up started, we ended up seeing each other um, regularly for a while. So what, you would see them together, together and separately? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we we always went on dates. They always took me on really cute dates. Together? Um, mm-hmm. yeah, always, yeah. Always the three of you? Um, not always. Most yeah. of the time. Yeah. Um, I do remember one time... Um, was her birthday and so the two of us went out oh, he nice. was working um and yeah so we had like a little solo time and you know told him about it afterwards oh, he would have been was stoked he was, yeah he loved it um so yeah it was really it was just a very nourishing sort of connection because they were incredibly respectful they mm. had a really solid relationship within themselves they were very open mm. um they weren't jealous of you know mm-hmm. any of the connections that were happening and that felt really safe for me because I was mm. like, cool, I'm going in. I'm respected as a person as well. I'm not seen as just this Sex. like body, yeah, yeah. Um, which can often happen in threesomes where it's like, oh, yeah, you just come in and then You're you go. You're just using you for our like, yeah, yeah, yeah it makes sense. Yeah. And look, like that can be really fun, but I do think it's important. Aftercare is incredibly important. And if you are just sort of like going in and then leaving it's like, oh, cool, I just went and had my body used and maybe I experienced some pleasure, but <laughs> the come down from that can be a little brutal. And yeah. so I think it's important to 
um, explore and if you are inviting someone in to like just treat them like a person yeah of course <laughs> treat them like someone that you're dating and yeah. you know it doesn't have to be me it doesn't have to mean more than what it is what the boundaries are that you've created mm. just because you are being nice and having a chat and offering them some water afterwards and maybe having a cuddle that doesn't mean that suddenly your your partner is now in love with them mm. they're just being nice yeah, <laughs> and they're yeah, offering yeah. basic a good human being exactly yeah. and that's really important because yeah. we don't want anyone to feel like oh it's just being so, used yeah. yeah maybe some people like that yeah, well, that's Maybe. a whole other yeah. degradation yeah, yeah. kink yeah. and stuff that we can, you yeah. know, that's a whole other side of things yeah. and that's wonderful, but um, it only ever happens within the consent and boundary boundary yeah. sort of container. So. Yeah. Oh, we, I forgot what I asked you before that because we got <laughs> off on the, what were we talking about? Well, we got off on the tangent. Tangent. We were talking all about threesomes. Threesomes, um, that's right. Yeah, so if your couple comes to you and they want to, okay, so you get yeah. you say to them, look, get on one of these apps. Yes, yeah. And then yeah. find someone. Yeah, so um, <coughs> I, I recommend field um and apps that are specific um Mm -hmm. you know sometimes i see people on like hinge that are saying that they're a couple and stuff but it's just not necessarily the right environment um Mm. and so on an app like field it's very sex positive it is um it's open everyone on there knows that they're interested in sex yeah 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 that's what you're here for yeah Yeah. and so it's like and you can even like pair your accounts so a couple could say like oh this is me and this is my partner and this is Mm. what we're interested in people are very open about like i'm wanting this this and that type of experience um and yeah you can find people on there and i think that can be a great way to explore especially starting out i see a lot of like newbie couples and that's really nice yeah cool oh that's so cool what else did i want to ask you so yeah so like maybe if you're because i know you've got courses but if you Mm. because you know like oh how to have great sex well i think probably you need to understand what it is you actually fucking like first Mm -hmm. right like you say getting to know yourself and your body so is that where you would start like say if you're in a couple in your relationship you're feeling a bit disconnected You're not having sex, you're not having good sex. Like where, where do you even start? So I always, always start um, with questioning your conditioning. Mm. And so I think just listening to this is probably going to start that for you. But I'd really encourage a lot of self-reflection mm. and really considering, okay, what is maybe stopping me from experiencing the pleasure that I'm probably capable of? Mm. Um, am I in my head too much? Do I have someone else's voice in my head? you know, calling me a slut or telling me that sex is dirty or that I'm wrong for wanting pleasure um, and kind of like kicking that voice out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's always, always going to be the first step before yeah. I give you any practices or anything like that. Um, and then we'd sort of start moving, as I always say, from the outside in. And so that's where we would explore sensual movement and mm. self-touch and self-seduction as well is such a beautiful thing. Um, exploring mirror work and massaging yourself and kind of like making eyes with yourself, feeling like really comfortable with your own body, with your own touch and your own movement. And then we can move towards the center and explore self-pleasure. Mm. Um, I think it, self-pleasure is an incredibly important practice, um, especially when it comes to your partnered sex. If you aren't prioritizing or allowing yourself space and time and permission to have sex with yourself, then your experience of partnered sex is only going to reach a certain level. Um, Obviously, they're incredibly different experiences, but self-pleasure allows you to learn what you like, Mm. how you like to be touched, what feels good for you, how long it takes you to be ready to 
experience different types of touch, um, different types of penetration, if you even enjoy penetration. And it gives you this opportunity to kind of almost build these neural pathways in your body Mm. to allow yourself to experience pleasure in different ways that maybe you don't experience in partnered sex. Mm. And then to take that new little vocabulary that you have, this pleasure language, and share it with a partner and say, hey, actually, could you do this a little bit faster or actually slower, deeper, wherever? Mm. And that's going to be very, very helpful to advocate for your pleasure when you're in a partnered sex environment. Do you think that some women are scared to tell their partner about what they've got fantasies about? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, I do. And I think that the more that we talk about sex before, Mm. during and after sex, the better. Allow it to be just a natural conversation as Mm. opposed to placing all this pressure on it. Um, And I think what happens is that if we are, especially if we're in a relationship that has, we've been in for quite a while and we suddenly say, hey, can we try this? The assumption is that our partner is going to go, oh my God, have you always wanted that and you've never told me? Or, oh, is the sex that we've been having not good enough for you? And it can like turn into something else. But I think it's really important to just sort of go in with this viewpoint of there's more, there's always more to experience and let's try something different and something more. So it can evolve. It can evolve. evolve. It's not necessarily that what's been happening isn't good enough or. Yeah, yeah. it's just let's try something different. If you've been like, if you've been eating salmon every single day (laughs) for four years and someone's like, here, do you want some steak? You're like, (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. Are you you don't think my salmon's good enough? Like, well, I mean, yeah, yeah. but like maybe try some steak. I don't know, it's different. Try yeah. something else, and yeah. that's fine. You might find that you like it better, or you might be like, actually, I really like salmon. Yeah, <laughs> you don't know till you try, right? You don't know till you yeah. try, and that's fine. And I think just having that kind of um, that mindset, yeah. that growth sort of mindset, yeah. and exploratory mindset is very, yeah. very helpful. What about? bloody orgasming without clit stimulation like how many women can actually do that do you think percentage wise is this there must be some statistics or something out there because it's never happened to me yes there are stats i don't want to misquote them but i think that it's over 70 percent of women do not experience orgasm on penetration yeah like is it it's uncommon yes yeah. yeah so there's a difference between normal and common. Yeah. Um, I think that when it comes to penetration, there's a lot of reasons why we want, might not be experiencing pleasure. Mm. Um, and one of them can be the time that we've mm. taken to actually get to penetration. And so I would probably predict that almost... Almost all of the listeners, let's say, I'm going to go with like 80% um, of listeners have currently or have in the past had experiences of rushing into sex. Always. Yeah. We do it too. Yeah. And you can notice the difference. You notice the difference. And so because especially like let's talk in in a heterosexual sense. So someone with a penis and someone with a vulva. Now, if you have a penis, often the arousal starts from the inside out. You get hard first as one of the first signs of arousal, physical signs of arousal. Um, and so by nature, you're like, oh, let's do something with this as soon as possible, mm. right? 
But for us, we get aroused from the outside in. We need time. Mm. And so if you take nothing away from this conversation, <laughs> except please, this. <laughs> except this, please, please remember, <clears throat> we need time to build up our arousal so that we can experience our full pleasure potential. We need 20 to 40 minutes of arousal before penetration of any kind, be that mm. fingers, yours or someone else's, dildos or a penis. And if we are rushing into that penetration, we're not going to feel as much pleasure. Mm. Sure, you might feel some. At, at best, you feel some discomfort. At worst, you feel pain. Mm. And so... It's really important that we take this time. And so I wish I brought my, uh, my vulva model. Um, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I know. I can't believe I didn't. Um, so we have the, the clitoris, which is essentially like a wishbone kind of shape. Yeah. And so this actually goes around. We've got these two legs that kind of go in underneath the um, external, sorry, the, the actual vulva. We see the top, the glans clitoris, and that's what we see from the outside. The rest is underneath. And so we have these wishbone sort of legs and these bulbs. And essentially that is erectile tissue. Mm -hmm. So we're all familiar with a penis gets flooded with blood when it's aroused and it gets hard, right? We have the same thing that happens for us. And it's our clitoris that is actually full of erectile tissue. And most of the time, just like a penis, it's just flopping around and it is... <laughs> flaccid right because <laughs> it's not aroused yeah now our erectile tissue takes longer to fill with blood to mm. become fully engorged erect if you will um to the point of peak pleasure and arousal mm. and so we need that time otherwise essentially this is a, a bit of a crude sort of um Okay, just say it. <laughs> Essentially, if you're having sex with someone with a vulva too too fast, it's akin in a way to having sex with a flaccid penis, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And so give yourself time, work up to it. And this is where, you know, this idea of foreplay comes in. I don't mm. love the word foreplay because I think it insinuates that anything that isn't penetrative sex isn't real sex, mm. which we all know obviously is incorrect. Um, there's oral sex, there's so many different types of sex and everything building up to penetration you can have sex without having penetration of course and so if you are going to have penetrative sex of any kind build up to it work from the outside in you know start with arousing the mind first you know flirt with them have these intellectual conversations be funny like have this connection build that intimacy Eye contact is wildly important. Coming into kissing the lips, starting with the erogenous zones, and then working your way from there to the ears, the neck, the chest, and then slowly towards the vulva. Mm. And then when you get there, again, it's not about just going straight in for the goods. We want to take our time, tease the inner thighs, tease the outer lips, the inner lips, the clitoris, the mm. vaginal opening. And then finally, you can enter but you need to take your time. And this is also for self-pleasure as well. Like mm. we have this amazing little button, this beautiful pearl, this bean, our clitoris that can have the potential to just experience like a quite a quick little like climax, a little um, 
sort of orgasmic sneeze, if you will. It's like <laughs> rub, rub, rub. Woo! Got it. That's the best. Yeah, you know. And so that's that's nice, and that's amazing. And sometimes that's all we we feel like, and it's just like okay, cool, that's it. But we have so many different types of orgasms that we're mm. capable of: internal, external, explosive, implosive, and it's incredible how many different types we can have. Sometimes we're familiar only with the clitoral. Mm. And so that's why we think, oh, well, we can't have um, orgasms because of penetration. And often the reason that we aren't experiencing orgasms upon penetration is one, we haven't taken enough time to Mm. get fully aroused and to, you know, allow the natural lubrication, um, to allow our vaginal canal to lengthen and soften, to receive. Um, We don't feel ready. We don't feel safe enough. We don't trust our partner, all of these things. Um, We might have something like vaginismus as well, which can cause very, very painful um, penetrative sex. Um, We also might be in a position. So this is, I think, where our bodies are... I think our bodies are incredibly designed, but when we put two opposite gender, opposite sex bodies together, sometimes it's like, wait, why was it designed like this? Because often a penis, it's very, very pleasurable to just kind of go like in and out and in and out and have that sort of sensation. But for someone with a vulva, the clitoris is where the majority of sensation is. And then, so if we're having sex in this way where it's like no in and out, in and out, it's like you're missing the most important yeah. part. And so instead of like the jackhammer sometimes there's this term going around called the dock and rock and it's where dock and rock yeah yeah i know it's really i'm just imagining what that is how it would in you go grind on right so rather than like in and out and in and out which a lot of people don't find as pleasurable Mm. um, i'm not saying that it's not Mm. um but a lot of the time that's not necessarily what's going to get us there Mm. we need the clitoral stimulation and so often the people who experience orgasm from penetration, it's really a blended orgasm because mm. we, we do need that clitoral stimulation. Yes, there's definitely like tantric practices and a lot of sort of self-practices that you can do to have orgasms that don't include the clitoris at all, mm. um, but they definitely do take a little bit more intention mm. behind them, but often we need the clit as well. Mm. Maybe it's like clit and nipples, clit and G-spot, clit mm. and A-spot, clit mm. and anus. Like, you know, include the clit. Mm. There's all these amazing nerve endings that go from the clit to the nipples, from the clit to the anus. And so it's going to be amazing when you add the clit stimulation to expand pleasure, mm. essentially. So don't forget about it. No, I know. Please. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe too that like communicating with your partner because yeah. I think you oh, know yes. sometimes like oh, men don't know but they don't know because you don't tell them because yeah. obviously we're all so different so what they think might be turning you on you're like that's not really working for me so you really Absolutely. got to take ownership right Absolutely yeah. I can't stress enough like advocate for your pleasure because yeah. if you aren't telling your partner what you like and what you don't like they're just fumbling Stabbing in the dark, in the dark. Yeah. and quite literally. <laughs> Um, so you can you know kind of only go so far if you don't talk about what you experience as um pleasurable and and as 
not pleasurable mm. so tell your partner talk about it ask be curious about their pleasure as well um we can't just expect to just be great at it mm. especially because everyone is so different everyone has very similar parts but they might be arranged slightly differently um, everyone has different length uh, vaginal canals everyone's mm. g-spot is in slightly different area mm. um, some people's clitorises are really small some are larger and some have hoods and some don't as much and so mm. Everyone's going to be different and some people are going to love like the jackhammer and other people will hate it. Mm. And you can't know unless you ask. You just can't. Yeah. And so speak up. Please advocate for your pleasure. Please yeah. talk about what you do and don't like. Don't ever put up with sex that doesn't feel good. Don't mm. ever put up with sex that is painful, mm. non-consensually. And please, please speak up and say, actually, I'd like this. Or oh, that's not feeling good for me. You don't have to put someone else's pleasure above your own mm. when you're not feeling comfortable. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I don't think I've, I'm just thinking if there's anything else. I'm just sort of these random things. But <laughs> is there anything else you want to add that you ha- we haven't talked about you think is important? Oh, I think we've spoken about a we've lot. We've spoken a lot. We've covered yeah. a lot. Yeah. 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 Um, I think the most important things are communicate mm. often and clearly about your pleasure. Um, prioritize your own sensual self-touch and pleasure, self-seduction. Take your time. Work yeah. your way from the outside in. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess we're so like in life, we're so busy, mm-hmm. you know, but you're right. If you if you want to make it a priority, you got to. Yeah, yeah, put it aside and focus on it. Um, and can you just tell everyone like where they find you, mm-hmm. you know, your courses, Instagram, follow her on Instagram. You post some awesome stuff. I love how you give the little like you watch a TV show. Uh. And <laughs> you do like a little review of it, of the sex yeah. things. Yeah. You know, that's that, that show I said I messaged you, um, what's it called? And basically the guy um, – they're in the elevator. Sex life. Sex life, yeah. Oh and you're like, talk about – that's pretty funny just Honestly. to finish off. Yeah, and he's like gets in. Oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. So if you haven't seen Sex Life, I don't. It's terrible. But it is very, very fun to critique as a sex educator. There's this scene where this dude hops into an elevator. There's this girl there and they've been banging um, previously. But they just walk in and they start making out. They're on like level one. Yeah. yeah. Right? They start making out within, I think it was 12 seconds I counted. She orgasms. His fingers are inside her and she's coming. Yeah. And then it's like level 12 when they get out. Yeah, you're like, this would never I'm happen. I'm like, excuse me. me? Don't you dare. Don't you dare. That would just never happen, eh? Like, please Do don't be doing that. I mean, <laughs> God, there's, again, it's always context specific. Sometimes maybe like the taboo turns you on. But I really Often. don't think that 12 seconds Same. is enough for anyone to put their fingers all yeah. up in you. And like, for you to come. Please, yeah, I agree. for the love of God, let's yeah. just... Yeah, let's, let's be, be real. real. But yeah, she gets she gets on in like all these different shows. What's the one that you're critiquing at the moment? Right now is F Boy Island. Yeah, that's which it. Is hilarious. Yeah. Is it Fuck Boy Island? Is that what it's yeah. supposed to be? Yeah. yeah, yeah. They've just like you know sensitive. But it's actually really funny because like I've never watched much reality TV, yeah. um, but it's like a satirical take yeah. on reality TV, and so it's quite funny. It's quite yeah. well done. Um, and some of these guys just have no idea, but it's very funny. Yeah. So, so get, yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry. So tell everyone where they can find you. Sorry. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. Um, so you can find me on Instagram at Eleanor Hadley. My website is the same, eleanorhadley.com. And yeah, feel free to find me there. I've got lots of different courses um, as well about embodiment. I've got the art of sensual movement, the art of seduction, which is lap dance. And then I also have tongue tactics. And the blowjob one. 
Yes. What, so the tongue tactics is the... For the, the tongue d- tactics is... I have two versions of tongue yeah. tactics. So I've got pussy pros, <laughs> which is for those... I just love the names. <laughs> They're the best. Had to. Yeah. Had to be done. Can confirm that there's some... Because Craig was like, again, too much information, but who cares? We've already been talking about sex. So came home from being away and yeah. you know, we're having sex and he goes down to me and I'm thinking, oh, what's these new, like some new things that you're doing, which were really great. Like I think... For me too, and like you say, all women, I really, the build-up is That's good. it. That's what gets us. You know, so it was spending more time down there working up to that orgasm. I had the best orgasm. I was like, oh, have you been watching Eleanor's course? And he's like, yeah, I haven't even watched all the videos yet. I'm like, oh, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> so he is watching Pussy Pro yeah. and then I also have BJ Queen. That's right. That's the one that I've got to watch. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's on your radar. Yeah. I also have Send Nudes, which is all about oh, how to right. take sensual selfies. Yeah. yeah. And you've been on Instagram showing everyone. Yeah. 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 So good, so good. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming. I really My appreciate pleasure. it. Highly recommend working with uh, Eleanor. She is amazing. I enjoyed working with her so much. Um, and as always, take a screenshot of the episode, share it on Instagram stories, tag me at K-I-T-T-Y-B-L-O-M-F-I-E-L-D. Um, you can tag Eleanor too. And then each month I pick a winner and they get a tub of saturated premium collagen. And uh, yeah, we'll be back again next week. Mm-hmm.